Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of room and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Stephanie Hitt, Dave Lundy, and Chris Roebling. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Merry Christmas to you all. And again, this program is recorded, so we will have no calls this evening. However, uh, we are still interested in any uh, email. If you want to send us at brucedumont at museum.tv, you want to tweet a comment, it's at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web, the audio and video portion of our program at Beyond thebeltway.com, and also you can find us at our website uh, or our, our Facebook page, uh, which is Beyond the Beltway at, with Bruce Dumont. So again, thanks very much. Again, we have a full two hours this evening, and again, uh, we are recorded, so uh, uh, we want to begin by asking all of our guests, because we're not only going to be talking about what happened this past week, and it's been a busy week as it always is, but also looking back over the, the last, you know, 51 weeks uh, of the year. And I want to begin by asking everybody uh, who, whether it's an individual or a group of individuals, who is better off today than they were a year ago? And we'll begin with our Democrat, uh, Dave Lundy. Dave? Uh, I'm going to choose a concept. Uh, I'm going to say the rule of law is better off today than it was to start the year. You went through a year where there was zero accountability uh, in the Congress uh, for the Republican president. Um, you had Republicans concocting conspiracy theories about the FBI and everybody else and how evil they were. And by the time the year ended, you have the Democrats now uh, uh, taking over the House uh, overwhelmingly. Uh, and you have uh, uh, in court cases, uh, as the Mueller investigation has proceeded, um, the expectations that the FBI was going to get smacked down haven't happened. Instead, the people who actually were um, had pled guilty, like Judge, uh, like uh, uh, General Flynn, uh, are the ones who are actually being held accountable. So I would say the rule of law won this year. Uh, Stephanie Hitt, one of our Republicans. What do you think, Stephanie? I think actually the group that's probably better off, and by corollary the American people, is the federal judiciary. We've seen record number of good (laughs) judges being confirmed in the Senate. And as another corollary of that, that is the revived energetic um, enthusiasm for Republicans that was brought on by the Kavanaugh debacle, the Kavanaugh hearings. And so our, our judiciary, all the way up to the top, is much better off. And Chris Roebling... Look into your crystal ball. Actually, look in the rearview mirror. In the rearview mirror. And where are we better off than we were a year ago? I I think the American people are better off, and I think the entire country is better off. And I think that's because we've been taking steps out of what I consider to have been a proto-fascistic regime under Obama, notwithstanding what David said. I think that what we have seen as the year has wore on uh, is sadly greater and greater and greater evidence that the Obama administration had subverted our uh, law enforcement, our, our uh, intelligence gathering, our uh, intelligence operations, and indeed the Department of Justice, all to political goals. And we now really see a vast uh, 
abuse of those government authorities, and the more light that is shown on that abuse, the better it will be for all Americans. And that's and let me add a, to that: is that a widespread economy? Belief? I mean, do you, would you say that's a widespread belief? Well, I think it's a widespread belief among all who address the very sad and very troubling facts as they are adduced objectively. And I think that those who are looking at it objectively, Alan Dershowitz or or uh, any number of law professors out there, see, and I think are, the, the decline of what used to be a, a liberal stalwart support for civil liberties. I want, to, I want to get Dave's response to see. Is there anything that Chris has just said that you would acknowledge he might be right on? No. Okay. No, it's a right-wing fantasy. Uh, there's, there's no such thing. Uh, nothing Chris just said was true. Um, there's not a widespread belief that it's true. There's not even a narrow belief that's true. Um, there's no evidence that it's true. Um, the notion that, that the Obama administration was somehow some lawless, fascist uh, organization that, that put together the Justice Department and other agencies to try to suppress civil liberties you, is a fantasy. Do you, th- do you think the image of the FBI is better today or worse today than it was a year ago? No, the image of the FBI is worse because of the campaign being run by Donald Trump, the Republican Party, and people like Chris Roebling. Is it based on some facts? No, it's not based on facts. And that is what that is exactly the point that I've been making. Um, and that's exactly what happened yesterday. Literally, Judge Janine, uh, Hannity... The, the, day, wait, the, day before the, the day before we taped this. <clears throat> Sorry, yes. Um, the day before we taped this... Um, Hannity, all these guys kept putting all their stock and saying, Judge Sullivan is going to slap down Mueller. He's going to slap down the FBI. And instead, what he said is that, no, no, FBI, didn't, there's nothing wrong here. What, what is wrong here is, uh, is Flynn selling out his country. He literally said, you sold out your country. And he questioned whether the prosecutors had brought adequate charges against Flynn. Well, but that's, that's one judge in a situation. That's one person. <clears throat> I think sort of more of what Chris is saying and, and, it, and where I say it is a widespread belief among not just Trump supporters, but Republicans, and that is the the subversion of the rule of law or the you know the role of the Justice Department that we're pulling back now and seeing, for example, what went on in the original Hillary investigation on her emails and the staff that was in place there and what was going on in the FBI and a lot of inappropriate conduct that was going on then. And I would say it's not really just theories that people are floating. If you were to, just as an individual, look at the different public statements made by Director Comey himself, I think Americans, based on the flip-flopping and the strange comments that he was making and the fact that he basically was admitting he was making political decisions and came out just recently bragging about how they nabbed Flynn in the corner of the White House unsuspectingly and how he tried to get away with it, doing things that he would never have done to anyone else. I think that that damages the FBI's re- reputation. It damages um, the feeling that Comey was um, independent. And it's all Comey's own statements. These are not theories. These not, are, are not conspiracies. I think that Americans can connect the dots so that's themselves. that's a conspiracy of Comey. 
Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, he has. But what we've seen is that starting back under Obama, there were all sorts of things going on. But well, Comey's little, but, but, but let's not forget. And I'm sorry, Chris, I'll, no, 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 I'll let ahead, you continue. But it's only no, one no, of me and two of you. Exactly. I'm um, always in one the of middle. I'll but, sometimes be nice to you, Dave. But, okay. But I'm always Comey nice to Dave. is the reason <laughs> that Hillary lost releasing, violating Justice Department rules <clears throat> and releasing <clears throat> what he did 10 days before the election is the reason, <clears throat> one of the many, many reasons that Hillary lost. So you guys attack Comey and I'll share the outrage. But that's Comey. That's not we the institution. We will roll on and the answer to the question is our fourth Democrat or our second Democrat this evening called in before the taping with the bad case of laryngitis. So that's why Dave is speaking more than everybody likes. <laughs> Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, As we tape this program, uh, it does not look like the president is going to get his wall. Now, that may change in the uh, next several days, but it doesn't look like he's going to get his wall. What is the political impact of that in your view, Stephanie Hitt? I don't think it's an immediate impact right now. I think a lot of Trump supporters, they're not, despite what Democrats and the media would like to plant them as, you know, uh, robots who, you know, are triggered by a word like wall, they understand that the wall is really an encapsulating idea for much stronger, greater border security. Do you agree with that, Chris Rubling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and he'll get a wall. He will get his wall. He will have something before the November 2020 re-election. I have no no doubt it's probably going to come through the Defense Department. I don't want to lose the thread of our prior conversation, but I know you've brought up a new topic. Well, look, I believe that this is the fate of the republic. I believe that this is the fate of the republic. What is? Let's put us in context. What is? The the abuses of the Obama administration being revealed to the entire world. And, and, and I, I, I am not Irving J. Donald Trump. I, I, I've been very medium on, on Trump throughout. But I believe that the Obama administration, as every week goes by, and this will continue when the Senate is just Republican and the House goes Democrat. The reason the House Democrats will end basically all of the investigations is because, like David... They don't want the facts to be known. And David is saying this is there are no facts to but base you, this. But, but it's not just Comey. It's Steph- I, I, think I'm, I think I'm in support of Stephanie. It's Comey plus a veritable encyclopedia of abuse yeah, but, that is independently right. verifiable through documentary say, evidence. What, what, here's what I would say. That, yeah. I would say that, frankly, 
one of the reasons, not the major reasons, but one of the reasons why the Republicans did so poorly in the midterms was because a lot of people, mostly women, really were turned off by Donald Trump's personality. Not his policies, his personality. They thought he went overboard. And I think also tied up in that is a lot of independents, when they hear talks of Hillary's emails or the the egregious errors of the uh, illegalities of the Obama administration, as you've articulated, Chris, I think they're turned off. It's like for them... Hillary Schmillery, that's yesterday. They want to talk about what's going on now. I don't deny They don't want to talk about I couldn't emails. Agree. I couldn't yeah. agree with you more, but... But you Lawn, keep bringing it up. But the, well, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's the largest political scandal in the history of the I, United uh, States. But is it politically... It's is, going it, to, is it... Poli- I don't know if it's political. Look, look, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the rule of law. And folks who are... David was saying that Lieutenant General Flynn is finally being held accountable. Well, a a, a good dozen people from the FBI have lost their jobs, have been cashiered, and there will be more accountability with the new attorney general. And I am for the legal process sorting this out. And if Lieutenant General is going to be held to account for the turkey thing, which the judge obviously had wrong and obviously walked back. You see, David didn't tell the whole story. The judge had a, a, a recess, left the bench, returned to the bench 25 minutes later, and then withdrew his comments about treason, to which David alluded earlier. Right. Now, so David's referring to comments that the judge himself has already taken back. The judge yeah, was... Okay, no, David. you're just changing right. the subject. Chris. That's he not did, true. He did but not withdraw. He withdrew the comments about treason. He did not withdraw the comment that General <clears throat> Flynn had sold out his country. Well, and you know, that he did not withdraw. I, he did sorry, not withdraw. We are talking about a judge he, 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 who has a reputation. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. He was talking about something that was not before him, and he was obviously not in touch with the agreed to non-controversial fact that there was no payment or relationship between Flynn and Turkey from the is, 20th of January. Yeah, I'm looking at it from a political standpoint, and my question to you is, if the Republicans keep talking about this and bringing this up, is there going to be any political benefit to them? Absolutely and I don't know not. whether there was I, any political well, benefit. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I hope that Chris uh, and the Republicans in the Senate continue <laughs> to talk about Hillary's emails until the cow comes home. Because you do that, we'll focus on health care. And guess what? And actually, I disagree with you, Bruce. I, I you know, you said that that the election, that women were upset about Donald Trump's personality. Yeah, that's true. But they were more upset about child separation. They were more upset about health care. They were more upset about seventy attempts by Republicans to repeal Obama. Obamacare and take away the coverage for pre-existing conditions. Perhaps. That is what drove this last election. You know, uh, I had a lot of arguments with Republicans and, and even non even middle-of-the-road folks who were, who were saying, Dave, Repo- Democrats aren't campaigning on anything. And I kept telling them, Scott Stantis from the Tribune, uh, he and I would go back and forth on this. And I said, no, Re- Democrats are campaigning on health care. Because that's what people care about. Well, and all this <clears throat> nonsense about Hillary's emails and well, refighting the last war so you're is gonna pointless. So ch- you're going to have a chance to, to, to rebuild it, given the, the, uh, the decision of the, of the judge in Texas. You're going to get a chance to rebuild it uh, when the Democrats take control. Well, it's unlikely that that, that decision will be upheld. But um, okay. uh, Well, but here, here's – I want to go back to your original premise. 
yes, we lost the house, but we didn't lose the house as badly as we did. And then there were predictions we were going to lose <clears throat> the Senate, and it turns out we didn't. And well, I think you lost nobody, the house by about what they expected you were going to lose. But, no. the, the, but the point is, seats there is was, I, I, I'm going to take s- some, some issue with the, the feeling that women somehow were angry at Trump. To be honest, at, there were maybe some women who maybe were frustrated or tired of hearing things come out of Trump's mouth that aren't always nice. They're sometimes cringeworthy. But I, I will tell you, the mo- speaking to Republican women around the country and during the Kavanaugh hearings, hearing women re- come back and re-energized in their support for Trump, despite maybe things that had happened, I cannot tell you enough. Do not underestimate how much those women were researched. I have a, a good friend, uh, independent a pro-choice Republican friend. She is on the board of trustees at our college. She is one of the first women hedge fund managers. Someone you'd sort of guess as a, um, a liberal. All I heard was, I cannot believe this. I am voting for Trump. I've never voted in the midterm elections. I am voting Republican from now on, no matter what. I think that the bleeding was stopped significantly. And I think that you're going to see that that support among women for Trump is not going to be erased I, I, in two I, I, years. I'll say very briefly, I think that the result, first of all, the results in the midterm House elections mm-hmm. were better for Trump than they were for either Clinton or, or George W. Right. Bush or Barack Obama. No. That's number one. <clears throat> yeah, 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 not yeah. True. The number of lost seats was lower. And number two, and number two, it is my opinion that without the Kavanaugh hearings, they, they would have been worse. They would have been as bad as they were for Obama and for George H.W. And, uh, and the Senate. Bush the Senate would be more and, of an issue. And, the, uh, and Clinton. So I believe that the, um, the net effect of the Kavanaugh hearings was to enliven the Republican base because they saw Democrats throwing the presumption of innocence, throwing due process out the window to achieve a political effect without any factual basis. And that is supported by the fact that every one of the allegations have been investigated time and again. Not only are there no allegations supported as of today, but in addition to that, several of the individuals who attacked Kavanaugh have been referred for prosecution. And they've, okay. or some have recanted. Bruce, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I love my Republican friends. I truly do. do. Um, but what they're saying is not supported by the facts. For example, Stephanie would like us to believe that the, there was a Republican resurgence, uh, a women's resurgence back to Trump. There was a 30-point gender gap. It was the largest right. gender gap in modern American political history. I'm sorry. It was a chasm. Women fled the Republican Party, suburban. Look what happened in Orange County. It was the bastion of conservatism, and there's not that, a single Republican in Congress. That hasn't been accurate for 20 years since Sanchez got elected. There's not a single Republican left in in Congress out of Orange County. This was a bloodbath. And if the Republican Party genuinely believes what these two are suggesting and what Donald Trump is doing, double down on it and let's see how it goes well, in 2020. Well, you want to give more well, more time? Absolutely, to rock on. Thank you. Yeah. One of the areas where there was some agreement was at the closing, uh, uh, as Congress closed, was criminal justice reform. Now, what's going to be the impact of that politically, in your view? I'm going to start with you, Chris. 
Well, I... Th- I, there were 12 Republican senators that said no. Right, right, Everybody right. else said yeah. yes, and the president's going to sign it. I, I believe there is an enormous amount of wisdom behind this. Uh, on this very program recently, a few weeks ago, I mentioned the fact that a, a, a good part of this started right here in Illinois with a bunch of conservative Republicans who started working with city Democrats because they were personally involved in some of the stories about broken families, broken lives, broken communities, and they knew there was a better way. And in Illinois, how this does it began help? How does it help the future of the in party? Ni- in the 1990s, uh, I think if Republicans were smart, it could help significantly. I think this is exactly the kind of thing where Republican communication skills have failed time and again to connect members of the party, office holders, actual senators and congresspeople who are going to vote with this, with the communities out there that care the most about these kinds of very important life-saving, family-saving, and community-saving reforms. Well, I also think what this shows is there's something about, and I think we've talked about this before, is Donald Trump is sort of being lambasted as, you know, this sort of right-wing nut and things like this from the left. But I've always believed he's not a right-wing ideologue. And if the Democrats are smart, and Nancy Pelosi, they could get a lot done with this man because he's he's looking to get things done. I want to hear hear, uh, whether Dave thinks that's uh, right and also get his take on the criminal justice reform. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back to Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. We're going to let each of our guests now introduce themselves on this eve of Christmas Eve. And we begin with Dave Lundy. Uh, I'm Dave Lundy, president of Aileron Communications. We're a PR and public affairs strategy firm focusing on uh, clean energy development. And Stephanie Hitt. I'm Stephanie Hitt. I'm a reformed attorney and a political activist. I live in Evanston, Illinois, the People's Republic of Evanston, uh, the lone Republican in my neighborhood. And Chris Roebling. Hi, good evening. I'm Chris Roebling, longtime friend of the program. Well, what else do you do? What do you do, Chris? You're not surviving on this program. I know that. <laughs> do a lot of consulting kind of things. Yeah. Okay. You spend a lot of time in the Middle East. What sort of things do you do over there? Hmm. Education, agriculture, uh, some design and uh, construction development. Okay. You know. Okay. Very good. I want to get back to Dave and, and get your response to the criminal justice reform. And, and uh, is, is, this, 
Is this a once-in-a-lifetime, at least with Donald Trump in the White House, is this a once-in-a-lifetime situation where the Democrats and the Republicans and the liberals and conservatives, many came together on this and had the president sign it, and Jared Kushner obviously was the quarterback of it all. Is this, is this a singular moment in, in Washington politics? Yeah, I mean, there's been a growing awareness um, that the criminal justice system is fundamentally unfair, um, that some of the uh, the excesses in sentencing uh, in the 90s, you know, we went through a period where it was the war on crime and the war on crime, and the only response from uh, elected officials was harsher sentences and harsher sentences and harsher sentences. And the reality is that um, that left an awful lot of people in jail for, you know, decades. Uh, and, and the fundamental unfairness of it, and frankly, the fundamental unfairness um, to the minority community uh, who were uh, who were uh, disproportionately affected by this, not just on the death penalty side, yeah. but particularly the drug crimes. Um, uh, I think it just there was a, a growing aware, bipartisan awareness. And the same thing has happened in Illinois, where we've had some criminal justice reform. Yeah. I think it's a time. Well, I, I think the point that, that you're making is that the in the 1990s, you had a rush to resolve the criminal justice problems, the crime problems in America, that brought Republicans and Democrats together. Everybody got together, and it was basically, you know, three strikes and you're out, well, you know, right. lock them up, throw away the key. But that was a bipartisan effort. That was a bipartisan effort supported by a lot of the, uh, you know, the, 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 prison, uh, the prison unions. So a lot of the money that came from that. And that was a situation that started in California and then sort of moved east and picked up, uh, you know, the tremendous support of President Clinton when he became president. And now it's, it's a generation later, and you have, you have many of the same forces joining together and basically saying, you know, we screwed up. We've, we've been right. wrong. Well, we or this, a, this was not a good idea 30 years ago. No, in fact, we, we had a situation uh, within the last month that uh, I became aware of because I share a namesake uh, where a guy named, a homeless man named David Lundy, um, who had been convicted of a variety of petty crimes, uh, wound up shoplifting $33 worth of underwear and, going, and getting a sentence of 10 years. Oh Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and I mean, see, this kind of thing, this, this is exactly this is, why we, we 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 basically took a lot of judges and put their hands in shackles relative to right. a convicted offense. And we said, there's a sentencing guideline and you're going to be in this lane and you can't get into another lane. And that sent folks like this other Mr. Lundy. Right. And, it, and I think that shocks the conscience. I also think it's if I may go back to, you know, you guys are both lawyers and I went to law school, but I want to say. If you're going to, for instance, we were talking about, David referred to the death penalty. So as a uh, Fourth Amendment conservative and a Republican and a person who cares very much about civil liberties, you're taking away somebody's liberty, that's one thing. Taking away somebody's life is something very different. And, you know, in the United States for a long time, we wanted to have the death penalty for whatever reason, and we weren't willing to spend the amount of money that is necessary to make sure that indigent defendants, very frequently minorities, were properly represented against the, practically speaking, unlimited resources of the state, whether it is a state that's prosecuting them or, in the rare instance, of the federal government. And so you end up with all these things where you've got there's some state prosecutor who can basically do whatever he or she wants, and here's an indigent uh, defendant with a public defender. Right. And they've got parsimonious resources for an independent investigation, for any kind of forensic analysis, or to mount any kind. And so what do we end up with, you know, 15, 20 years later? A, 
innocence project that is going back and using DNA and science to say these people were wrongly. Mm. Well, now, to to have taken the life of an innocent person is conceivably the worst offense any criminal justice system could ever do. And now we we base. I I don't know that we can say we've got Joe Smith that is identified, but with this many people who were wrongly convicted, we we probably did, and that is horrendous. Well, I think one of the things is, is this is kind of one of those rare bills where it was based sort of on reality, what we've learned in reality, and also has a lot of common sense in it. So by giving judges more leeway now, for example, with sentencing and so on and understanding, I mean, what we've learned is that there are certain types of criminals that will not do better in right. prison or whatever, that, you know, that there were options for education in halfway houses yeah. and being able to deliver. Or, or, or you can or you can learn your lesson very quickly enough. in your sentence. Exactly. You don't you can need 20 it. years. Exactly. You probably learned it after three. And, you know, maybe you learn your lesson with an educational component. And this this bill provides for that. And it allows judges the really, you know, they're the ones right there best able to deter, de- to determine these situations. Um, we finally put that power back into the judge's hands, which I think makes a lot of sense. Maybe it all, it we also could do this it, with health care. I don't know. All, well, well that, <laughs> see, that's an issue because this also came out of the, one of the other interesting things about this. This came out of programs that were being worked on and tried uh, in the states. The incubators right. were the states. They were the states of the idea. And it was many, many conservative Republican states that were leading the way on this. Right. And, th- and then some other states decided, well, we're going to get on this. So this is, th- this is the, 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 uh, the, the local state governments the, the, basically the, teaching the federal government. Well, states, as, states as laboratories of democracy. Yes, absolutely. Right. Which well, was, that was the original that point. sort of, I mean, to kind of get on a high Pollyanna level here, that's kind of how our laws should be created and developed, that we have these states, we have resources to do this, and then so these laws be, can, can be passed. So can health be the next Well, thing. and that, that's, rather than it being shoved down someone's well, throat. No, no, the Democrats won't allow it right. to happen with health care because they're convinced that they About serve control. their public employee union well, let's constituency let, let's let a, uh, best by imposing. I prefer to let Roebling they, speak. They, they, they impose a one-size-fits-all. Speak for the Democrats. Don't you support one-size-fits-all? once again, my friend Mr. Roebling is untethered to reality. Um, <laughs> look, we would like Democrats would like to see health care work for all Americans. Um, <laughs> we have said from the get-go That's that there joke. were issues with Obamacare. Um, that needed to be addressed. Republicans refused to cooperate with Democrats and instead insisted upon removing it root and branch, as they said repeatedly in their 70 attempts to repeal it. Um, Could Democrats do this if Republicans actually sit down in good faith to come up with a system? Of course they could. Um, There's zero chance the Republican Party is going to do that. Is there some state that's doing it right now? Doing it right, or as we looked at, if we look at fifty states, is there some state that is handling their health care issue better than well, the federal? Well, there's a, there's a hang on, For instance, there's a limit. Right. There's a limit to what states can do, oh, no. um, given the given the federal system. That said, one thing that's going to take place under the new governor in Illinois um, is that there will be a public option. Um, and the option will be to allow people to buy into the Medicaid system. And that doesn't mean that the state pays. It means I get to 
pay my Medicaid premium, and there will now be a public approach. I think that a, a hybrid system in this country um, is what we need to do. And the, the, right now, the system is totally dysfunctional. Um, you have we're paying the most for health care and getting the uh, and getting outcomes that are middle of the pack. Um, this it's this a problem. is what they said before Obamacare. And right, and had Obamacare, you bothered to cooperate, we might have had a better and, and system. Is, is there, is so they're they're blaming the people who pointed out the deficiencies for the deficiencies. I want to give you an example. You asked the question about the states. States as laboratory of democracy. Okay. Prior to Obamacare, there were 46, that's 46 states that were running high-risk pools. And they were operating flawlessly. So catastrophic or pre-existing conditions were covered. Were covered. Okay. Now, David, to this day, to the, on this very program, at this very table, tonight has reiterated the falsehood that Republicans are against preexisting. That's not true. And it's, it wasn't, and, and Democrats weren't against it either. In the HIPAA reforms of 1996, 1996, sounds like a long time ago, Clinton was president, Gingrich was speaker, they passed the HIPAA reforms, and what did they do? They authorized every state to create the high-risk pools. So, folks with preexisting conditions, folks with catastrophic, they were going to be covered out of the state high-risk pools. 46 states were operating flawlessly. And yet you had 20% uninsured in this country. That, that is not true. It's totally in, true. In the 40, hold on. Hold on. The, the four states that were, operating, that were operating outside of the mainstream, New York, California, I think New Jersey, and maybe Illinois. I'm not sure. No, no Illinois was, was a good one. But the four states were very large, disproportionately large. And in the 46 states... No one, everyone could get coverage. In the state of Illinois, there wasn't a person in 98 or 99 or 2000. David is referring to a canard. No, I'm not referring to canard. And if Kitty Kurth were sitting here and not homesick, she would be the first one to tell you that she and Kevin couldn't get health insurance because of their pre-existing conditions. So what you are saying is untrue. No, no. What they Here is what... What they are saying is they were not prepared to pay the price of the state of Illinois for the high-risk pool. So you can we're get health care unless you're and we're not going of to means. take the issue Great. of health care and put it off the table for the rest of the year. We'll be back <laughs> with more discussion when we roll on from Chicago. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. 
Well, thank you all, and we're uh, very happy that you're with us on this uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve show, and thanks very much. As you know, we do this program from the Museum of Broadcast Communications, and for the last uh, several weeks, uh, we've been talking about our GoFundMe campaign, and that is used to keep the satellite, uh, the satellite, which sends this signal to your local station. It has nothing to do with your local station. This is about the ability to get the program from our offices here in Chicago and studios in Chicago up on the satellite and to stations all over the country, including Sirius XM Satellite Radio. If you would like to help and feel in the Christmas spirit, you can go to GoFundMe.com, GoFundMe.com. Look under uh, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. It'll all be explained there if you'd like to join us. We've had a lot of people respond, some of the listeners over the last couple of weeks. It's good to have uh, your, and also a lot of the, the, the nice little notes. I mean, the, the number of people that we're getting with those donations, uh, it's very heartwarming to know that, you know, this is one of the highlights of, you know, of, of their week by getting together with their husband or their spouse and uh, talking about uh, politics and listening <laughs> to what we have to do here. So, again, we appreciate being uh, having the ability to bring all of our divergent guests to you each and every Sunday night. There is a cost to it. It's getting pretty prohibitive uh, for yours truly. So I would appreciate uh, your help. Again, GoFundMe.com and go to the uh, Beyond the Beltway. Uh, uh, click into BeyondTheBeltway.com. You'll find it, and it's easy. It's very easy to donate. So please do so before the end of the year. And Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, let's get back to an issue that was huge at the beginning of the year, and then it fell off the track, and that is the DACA kids. It looked like the DACA kids were very, very close mm-hmm. to being dealt with. And then you haven't heard about the issue for a long, long time. Dave, what happened? Did the Democrats miss an opportunity to deliver for the DACA constituency, most of whom are probably Democrats? Yeah, I don't think they missed the opportunity to deliver. I think that you know there was that big public meeting um, that Trump had a negotiation before the cameras, and he said in that meeting that he would sign any bill um, that uh, that allowed the DACA kids to stay, and that he felt badly for them, and and he thought it was unfair, and so on. Um, and apparently, he uh, as soon as that the cameras went off, and he went back. Um, he was told, no, no, you can't do any of that. So um, he backed out, and it seemed like a non-starter, and then we went nowhere. And that, That's you know, not what happened. That's actually, I think what happened was the Democrats tried to use them as a political tool to sort of maybe force a shutdown, some changes, try to get Trump to do some things. Uh, Louis, Luis Gutierrez did the, you know, threw himself on the sword, said, I'd be willing to pay for the wall to help these people. But then when the issue went away and the government got refunded and wasn't shut down, it got completely forgotten. Because again, I think what we saw is twice this year, we saw Democrats willing to make um, political statements and to use issues for their own political ends. One was DACA and the other one was Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, what I think happened with the DACA kids, which is a terrible tragedy and it's entirely on the Democrats, they were looking for about six or 700,000 of these kids to gained status. And Trump responded to that by offering it for 1.4 million. That wasn't good enough. And and here's why. It's not what David said. It's not even exactly what Stephanie said. Trump had four points. His his points were he wanted to end chain migration. He wanted to build the wall and take border security steps. 
he wanted to be absolutely sure that the folks who were coming in were going to be benefiting the economy and not drags on the economy through just recipients of, of, uh, of public, uh, public benefits. And he had another point that was, I think, pretty straightforward. He said he would sign any bill that did those four things. What happened in the public meeting in that, in that time is that a couple of Democrats started jackpotting the president in front of the cameras, and this was uh, uh, Dick Durbin and, mm-hmm. and some of those guys. And, and I, I don't disagree with David that the issue got muddied after the presidential meeting. I don't disagree with that. <clears throat> but the truth is Donald Trump, I think, when you, when you say you need six or 700,000 straightened out, and he comes back with the bigger category. Why? Because, he's, because at the Obama administration, they were talking about the 1.4 million. They opened it up, and yeah. only the 700,000 came to sign up. Trump said, look, I'm not going to live with the 700. I'll take the 1.4. Okay, the, the that one, was not good enough for the, Nancy Pelosi no, or Chuck Schumer. But the one piece of that that I don't think is totally accurate, and that is the president did do that. He, he, took, a rel- he took a large number, and he, he almost doubled it right. and, and made it available. And that surprised people. That was not something that anybody in his base was asking him to do. It was, to me, it was a profile in courage. But he did say, I want, in, in, in response to that, I want the wall. That was the alleged agreement that he had with Chuck, Chuck Schumer. And, and, right, and in Democrats, fact, at that I, said point, the, I said the wall and the board of security. And the yeah. Democrats were willing, at that point, the Democrats were willing to to swallow hard and go for that, including Luis Gutierrez. And $25 billion they were willing to put up. And But when the president came back and said, we're going to do a few other things, we're going to do the chain migration, we're going right. to change it a few more, that's when the Democrats backed away. That's when the Democrats said, that's too much. If it's the wall for the DACA kids straight up, we'll do it. But... It was the president that put the other, based because of, because of the pressure coming from House Republicans, they were the ones that wanted to get tough. The wall, they wanted more than just the wall. Right. right. And when they wanted more than just the wall, the Democrats backed away. And it, this is when it, this is when it, Bruce when it is all 100% went 100% correct. <clears throat> Trump moved the goalposts. And when he moved the goalposts, the Democrats said, no, no, we're not going that far. And let's not forget, you know, chain migration sounds evil. That's how I got into the that's – that's how my ancestors got into the country. That's probably how your ancestors got into the country. No, my, yes, uh, they came in my, and one, one, one ancestor – Chris, I'm sorry, but what you're about to say is not true. What happened is that people came in and then they raised money and then they brought in their brother and then they brought in their cousin. That's not and that's the how chain migration fam- system that's of exactly today. That's what chain migration no, that is. That is not the chain and, – and what the chain migration system – was, first of all, I can tell you there was no chain migration when Enoch Fitzhenry ran onto, you know, New York soil to get away from the British in 1755, okay? So I can... Fine, no, okay. okay. I will grant right. you that. Thank you. And, and then, <laughs> but there sure was when my ancestors came here. Well, and, and uh, however they got in, we're glad they did. Okay? Well, and as someone who is, in fact, part Native American... Thank you guys for coming to our country. <laughs> but I think Unlike also, certain let's, senators let's talk about the, some of the practical uh, state things. of Massachusetts. I want to see that I've got that my D, 23 DNA and Me report. I it, more than double. If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger. 
and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. From Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Art Sear of Carthage College, Mike Miller of DePaul University, Bob Pape from the University of Chicago, and Mark Whitty from Northwestern University. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base 
at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Nice to have you with us this evening. There are no phone calls. We're recorded this evening. However, if you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to send me a tweet, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web, beyondthebeltway.com, and also on the Beyond the Beltway Facebook page, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. So you can still find us. And, again, uh, we hope you're enjoying your holidays very much. And uh, wherever you're, if you're out on the roads, drive carefully because there's a lot of people out there that Maybe you've celebrated a little bit too much and uh, want to avoid them, and hopefully they will avoid you. Um, this hour, we're going to be talking about uh, this financial issues, the fiscal problems facing the country or challenges facing the country, and also foreign policy. And I want to begin. Uh, we've got a great panel this evening, uh, but obviously one of the big news uh, recently is that the president has announced that he wants to pull all troops. There's only about 2,000 of them, but he wants to pull troops out of Syria And again, uh, according to the published reports, he didn't let anybody know that in advance. So people are sort of responding and reacting and sort of back on their heels with it. But Bob Pape from the University of Chicago, thank you very much for for joining us this evening. What's your your take on the decision to pull troops out of Syria? Is it Um, good or bad? Well, I think that it's not going to matter a lot because President Trump hasn't had an overall policy or a strategy for Syria uh, to begin with, um, I do believe uh, we need such an overall policy. I think it's a it's a mistake to uh, simply walk away and not know that there's still a rump of ISIS that exists. Uh, but keeping 2,000 troops there without an overall policy probably wouldn't matter a whole lot anyway. The big deal is not the 2,000 troops, but it's the fundamental lack of a policy. Art, sir, your reaction. I'm greatly relieved. The 2,000 troops are not enough to do anything significant (coughs) on the ground, but they are certainly enough to get us involved in a general war. There has been one incident of armed combat between U.S. forces and Russian mercenaries. Let me repeat that, because nobody seems to be paying attention to it in America today. We've had armed combat in which our troops killed a number of Russians. None of ours were killed, thank God. That might have made the news. During the McCarthy era, uh, the famous cartoon character Pogo uh, quipped at one point, we have met the enemy and it is us, a takeoff on a famous uh, War of 1812 quote. The indifference, the la- not only lack of policy, but the recklessness combined with complacency on the part of our government as well as us, I find quite disturbing. Mike Miller from DePaul University, you're an economist, but uh, this is another thing that the president promised during the campaign. He said we're going to get out of Syria. Yeah, I, I I'm glad to hear both of these answers for one reason. I consider myself to be a bit of a political junkie, and I kind of know what's going on. And when it comes to Syria, I have no idea what's going on. And I, I think a president's one of the most important things, if we have men and women in, uh, essentially at war, we should be told exactly why we are there, what we want to do, and what the ultimate goal is. And I couldn't list anything of any importance when it comes to Syria, and I, that bothers me. Yeah. And so maybe getting out, like well you said, put. Bob... Since we have nothing, let's, let's get out. I'm, I don't know if I should be disappointed in me or if I should be disappointed in Mr. Trump for not explaining things. Uh, Mark Whitty from Northwestern University. I think Mike put it beautifully that if we don't have a very strong reason for being there, we shouldn't be there. Right. Uh, if we were to look at, again, the promise that the president made, the president seems to be really focused on keeping his promises. So... I mean, this shouldn't surprise anybody who's a Trumpster out there. They probably like this idea. Uh, yes, and I don't but think— But yet a lot of those people 
might be current conservative Republicans that, that were very vociferous in, in attacking Barack Obama when he wanted to pull people out of Afghanistan. Uh, exactly, and also pull people out of Iraq. Correct, so right. I don't think, I think it's a false choice to think that President Trump can't keep his po- promises and also have a policy. So the problem we face with uh, Syria and also in Afghanistan is we're stuck between two repellent choices. Stay the course with no obvious reason okay. why we're there, um, or cut and run, basically isolationism, just abandon things altogether. The problem is that there is good reason to hedge in both cases about the future rise of a terrorist group to do harm to the United States. Um, And we just got done criticizing President Barack Obama for not uh, paying enough attention to the rise of ISIS. You'll remember that problem a few years ago. Um, And so there is a middle course. It's offshore balancing. It's a policy whereby we uh, pay close attention with regional bases, not troops inside the country, but we use them for surveillance, and we have an actual articulated <clears throat> policy, um, rather than uh, this business of um, either we're all in or we're not in at all, which uh, tends to be the worst of both worlds. Art, you agree with that? Yeah. Basically, my understanding, partly from <clears throat> Professor Pape's uh, very influential and important research, is part of our problem. Uh, I don't want to overdo Pogo, but part of our problem is us in the region. The outrage that many sincere and not necessarily radical or terrorist indigenous people feel when they have an occupying army on the scene and offshore, uh, which the British to a degree practiced for a couple hundred years when they were running the world, Hmm. I think is a very persuasive approach. A question that I asked in the first segment of our broadcast this evening was, where are we as a nation, where are we better off than we were a year ago? Mike Miller, whether it's on whether it's in the economy, any area, well, where we are, are we better? We, what are we? Where are we better off? We are better off in the economy. Wages are rising faster oh, than yeah. they were before. Unemployment is at historic lows. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. not sure we're better off or worse off when it comes to international. I think we're just kind of muddling through. I really like your plan, by the way. Oh. The off, if, if, but I would add one thing. I would. There has to be a threat that if you are going to become problematic will destroy you. Yes. And I think exactly. you have to add that exactly one last right. piece and you have to be willing to destroy and then step back and say, I'm not going to fix your country. Yes, but I, and that, that is what offshore balancing is. So offshore balancing is not isolationism by another name mm-hmm. and it's not all in and stay right. and die. What it is is it's <clears throat> that re- the idea of regional alliances, regional bases and surveillance mm-hmm poised to go in if we need to. And that's the problem that we face when we, uh, we don't have those, um, we can't set them up on a day. Right. We can set them up over a few years, but if we truly just walk away, then what, what, what we do is we, don't lose the, we lose the ability to have partners on the ground because that literally takes months, if not several oh, yeah. years, to build, as you know. Right. And that's what offshore balancing is. It's holding those partners together, but not with troops on the ground for the reason Art just said, because yeah. they can off, also make matters worse. Mm-hmm. Mark, what do you, let me come back to you. Uh, do you agree with, uh, with Mike Miller that, that, that the economy is is strong, that that's an area where we are better off today than we were a year ago? Fiscally, we're in very strange grounds. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mention fiscal. You'll notice yeah. that. But otherwise, no, he's, he's, he's dead on. Okay. one 800 7 I gave the number. Didn't mean to give the number. We're recording ah. tonight. I'm Bruce Dubai, back shortly from Chicago. Thanks for joining we'll us. We'll erase the tape, Bruce. holiday week. <laughs> Good night. 
Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for being with us on this holiday weekend. And I want to begin with you, Art, and ask the question that I asked uh, uh, in the last segment. Where are we uh, in, the, in the world? Where is the United States better today, better off today than they were a year ago? In the world? Yeah. Um, well, below the level of the top, there is extremely important practical cooperation going on with Japan. There was an important anti-ballistic missile test that actually worked, the wide-ranging Aegis system, last week. Believe it or not, we have Chinese Army delegations that are proactively collaborating with the U.S. Army. At the top, obviously we're not doing that well. I think in the Middle East we've lost tremendous ground. We were discussing the first Bush administration uh, when that administration left office. We were the dominant power in the Middle East, thanks to Bush and Secretary James Baker. Uh, Putin, who sits on top of an economic catastrophe, a house of cards and a gangster society. He has a collaborative relationship with Turkey. He's got a good, positive, personal relationship with the Prime Minister of Israel, for God's sake. And, of course, Syria is a close ally. The U.S. has been eclipsed. We have a vast economy, endless natural resources, technology, expertise, and military capability, and we fumble around so much that in a quarter of a century we've been replaced by Russia. Are we better off in South Korea and North Korea? Uh, I think we are better off because the president actually doesn't do very much for all the sounding off. He's made some important executive decisions. But in effect, President Moon, the very effective Mm -hmm. and very impressive from my point of view, uh, president of South Korea has been able to, again, at the working level, beneath uh, the mass media largely, established good practical collaboration with the North. Overall, we've lost prestige. I think in many ways President Trump is the worst possible leader in terms of the image of the United States in Europe, but also throughout the developing world. And, and, and would, it's, he's a real asset for the Russians, the Chinese, and others. And, and I would just add to what Art's saying and maybe go a little further. I think that in the last year, we have terrified uh, many of our longstanding allies in just about every major region of the world. And I think that um, that has not necessarily produced a catastrophe like today, but it's not a good idea to uh, um, to really uh, terrify our European allies where you have uh, leaders in, in, in France listing off uh, the threats to <laughs> Europe, and among the top threat is the United States. Um, if you look at uh, uh, Asia, um, we terrified our South Korean and Why our. Why are we a threat to France? 
uh, we're a threat because we're a bull in a china <laughs> shop and we are uh, making colossal decisions that we say are in our own narrow self-interest uh, here, um, leaving others to just simply uh, totally uh, fend for themselves such who have as, built relations. Give, give me uh, one example of uh, uh, Europe and, and um, uh, versus uh, Russia. So, so what we what what's happening is uh, Trump is undermining the relationship of NATO, and what that's doing is it's it's happening at a time when there's huge economic problems in Europe, there's huge social problems in Europe. We just had this giant protest go on in uh, Paris where the protesters brought out a guillotine. Um, it, they, this, they didn't actually behead anybody. N- no, not this time. And there is a tradition of complaining about the <laughs> primitive Americans. Uh, that's true. And but, our lack of culture and cuisine. But it is the case that it's not just in Europe. If we look no, at Saudi no. Arabia, we have uh, embraced and written a blank check. Uh, uh, and, um, uh, and by blank check, I mean, therefore, encouraged a lot of bad behavior uh, among uh, by the Saudis, which are really worrying a lot of uh, the Qataris and, and others in the region. We've abandoned the Iranian uh, nuclear deal so far for nothing. We've gotten nothing by walking away from the deal. Um, all, we're, all that does is create an <clears throat> opening yeah. for Iran to uh, restart its nuclear program. Does the president get any credit for what he did uh, in North Korea? Well, he, he calmed down tensions that he himself built. So what happened is a year ago, we were playing a game of nuclear chicken oh, yes. where Donald Trump and On this program. were, uh, we talked about this, were like the you know, teenagers driving cars ramming into each other. Well, well Donald Trump was causing that. Uh, now, then he stopped, and that was good. So he has played a game now of cooperation. However, um, we didn't have to have a nuclear risk where the people in Hawaii were terrified to think that there might be actually a nuclear attack uh, coming on their island, something they hadn't had to worry about in decades. That was a major consequence of that nuclear chicken. Where are we, insofar as uh, getting back to the economy, where are we regarding trade? Where, where does trade stand in, in our positions and the president's positions on trade How have they affected our standing in the world this past year? Trying to come up with something even-handed and fair to say, but uh, I can be even-handed or I can be fair. It's one or the other. Uh, So uh, I I think the extent that we've allowed tariffs to be quite low and trade patterns to be reasonably unencumbered, that private industry has optimized its supply chains. And the extent we mess with that, it's going to be extremely costly. It's going to start appearing in you know, the cost of everything we buy. And so, yeah, that's an unfortunate <coughs> thing. And that we haven't done this in a strategic way where, you know, I mean, that, that I sort of have no feeling that we have goals in mind that we're willing to trade off with our you know, trade partners to, to get anywhere. It sort of just seems to be bluster and noise. Mark, uh, Mike, brother, you were uh, one of your concerns when he was running for president was that Donald Trump's. You didn't like his trade policies like when he was talking policy. about them. Right. Now that he's not only talking about it but, but doing, doing it. stuff, what's your concern? I, I see it from uh, – I've somewhat changed my tune. I still don't like his policies. Mm-hmm. But I, I realize now, I think I'm solid on this, is that there are two kinds of policy here. One <clears> is <throat> a political strategy and the other one is an economic strategy. And what is happening economically, there's no doubt in my mind, it's hurting the country. Now, it's not, the, the pain has not been as great as many people thought it would be. That's what all the data are showing. But the pain is growing. However, from a political standpoint, 
it appears that we're talking better with the Europeans. And on, so over the long run, politically, we might actually get tariffs overall that are lower. We're going to get, I think, maybe we've got a better deal or some kind of tweaking along the edges with, with uh, Canada and Mexico. We've worked with South Korea. Moon is, by the way, I think he's also a, a dynamite. I happen to agree with you on, on uh, Moon. Uh, and I think there is a chance that, that China is going to fall before we will fall in terms of trade. We can squeeze oh, them sure. so much more because we buy – the ratio is five to one. So they're also but, a primitive economy. They are Excuse a primitive me, no, economy. They're not the number two economy. No, they're in the world. That, it's only because of the way we measure the things. That, that's oh, the look case. at per capita. Right. They're well below Japan. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, if, from a political standpoint, who is number two? Japan. Japan. Okay. Yeah. For, uh, in real from terms. a political standpoint, I think that Trump is doing something that no one else was willing to do. But the people of the United States are paying a price for this. There is a short run negative. We hope that we will have a long run positive that will offset that. I, I, so ask me in five years, and I'll tell you whether or not it worked. Hmm. Well, everybody's going to be see what was it going to do, be like in 2020. Yeah, well. But all these he's working on right now. Well, it, I, I think that Donald Trump needs to hope for something. I, this is a, going to be a strange thing to say. We've gone, as of this coming July, we will have the longest expansion in the history of the United States. Oh. It'll be 10 years plus. Uh, if he's going to have a recession, he needs to have it now. So that it's over before the election, and then if, if Donald Trump wants to win, it would help if the economy were on the upswing. Uh, I, I know things are, we were asked, are things better? And I think uh, they are in terms of wages and employment and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I can say as well that for the first time in eight years at least, I'm hearing the word recession being used with some degree of seriousness. <clears throat> that there are enough uh, dislocations within the world economy and the United States that there could be something go wrong between now and the end of next year. Is there respect for the United States around the world? Is there any area? Because you, you, you read a lot about how the president is not popular uh, you know, in, in South America. He's not popular anywhere. But to the people that voted for him, I, I don't think they really care that much whether or not he's popular Overseas, oh, no. Oh, no, they just know. want him to be popular in the United That's States. Right. He's so I mean, much d- fun. D- does he does he care about that? Is there anybody is there anybody on the world stage that knows what he's doing and why he's doing it? That he's playing to his base. I no. think they all assume he's playing to his base. Yeah. I, I think that's and they why, play to that's their base. Well, and I think that's why the Chinese responded to uh, Trump's policies by targeting uh, his base and targeting soybeans and so oh, forth. Yeah. So what he, oh, what, what I think is, it's what I think you're seeing, Bruce, is that um, it's more the opposite. I think that uh, world leaders and countries are um, assuming that this is being driven by domestic politics. Um, and if there's any leverage that one could get on Donald Trump, it would be through the base. It just may not even be that. It may be that um, uh, President Trump sees himself as such a revolutionary figure that he will uh, absorb pain even to his base because he's, he keeps saying he, he can ignore all that. Um, and he has, for the, for the most part. He's just gone ahead. Um, and so, but that, I think, is how the world is seeing it. I think they're seeing that it's domestic 
domestic politics in the United States run amok, and that means it's very chaotic, mm-hmm. uh, and that means that it's really difficult to know uh, where to bet. And I think it also means things like um, trade and uh, economic flows are just very, very difficult to predict a year out. Or right. two, oh, even they're, more, they're always the difficult, but very even more difficult. so now. Um, who would have thought the price of oil would have dropped so much? No one predicted what we've seen. Uh, yeah. This is a dramatic drop. Which is, of course, going to hurt a lot of uh, people who would be Republicans. So a lot of the the drop in the price of oil is dramatically reducing the ability to uh, put new wells in. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because you need $60 to $70 a barrel to pay for the new well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if it's at 40, you can't. And who does that affect? It hurts a lot of the Republicans. When we come back, I want to talk about the United States' relationship with Russia and the president's relationship with Vladimir Putin and ask the question, who is the most dangerous person in the world at this point? I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks for joining us this evening. We're going to let our guests introduce themselves to you right now, and we begin with Mark Witte. Hello, I'm Mark Witte from Northwestern's Economics Department. And Bob Pape. I'm Robert Pape. I'm a professor at the University of Chicago and director of the University of Chicago Project on Security and Threats. Art Sear. Art Sear, I direct the Claussen Center for World Business at Carthage College, just across the border in Kenosha. And Mike Miller. And I've been a, uh, I'm an associate professor of economics and been in DePaul since 1980. One job. I've wow. Had one academic job. One job. It's a great place, by the way. And, and a, uh, from Pittsburgh, but a Blackhawk fan now. That's correct. I'm still a Penguin fan, but go Blackhawks. <laughs> okay. My That's youngest right. son uh, went to DePaul, finished there. And was a question to everyone. Um, the president's relationship with Vladimir Putin. Because of the election, the president is being watched like a hawk every time he has anything to do with Russia. Is he handling that pressure well, Art? Are you comfortable that that anything that has been alleged against a relationship or, or about a relationship between he and Putin, and the Democrats have made a big case of this. you got Robert Mueller. Everybody's trying to make the case that there's a, there's a close relationship between the president and Putin and that Putin is, under, is controlling Donald Trump. That's a, what a, a lot of Democrats think. I don't, Do I you think... believe that? And, and, and how are you measuring the relationship between those two men this year? Well, if I were a really good comedian, I would say, obviously, nobody controls the president, including the president, which is why a chief of staff is so important. He's been keeping his distance publicly. 
from uh, President Putin, including notably at the G20 meeting recently, for very good reasons, after the Saudi murder. Um, actually, in some ways, he looks pretty good. George, H., George W. Bush, I beg your pardon, George W. Bush, looked into President Putin's eyes and was impressed by what he saw and uh, made a very bizarre positive statement that was uh, pretty naive. President Obama, on more than one occasion, talked about shaking hands and reaching agreements with President Putin in a way that seemed naive, which is why our President Obama and President Putin were often caricatured together in political cartoons in which Putin came off quite well. So I think, yeah, the short answer is I think the president, our current president is doing all right by comparison. Bob, how, how would you um, say I that? think I'm more worried. Um, I'm more worried not so much about the direct connections between President Trump and, and Putin as the Trump's closest advisors have, had, have done some very, very worrisome things. So uh, General Flynn, um, who was his national security advisor and played a major role during the campaign, um, at uh, – not just lied to the FBI and not, he was going to use secret communications equipment um, in the Russian embassy to bypass our own intelligence uh, community's ability to monitor communications that were occurring about economic sanctions on Russia. So that's extremely worrisome to have that uh, as, as, as an issue. Um, I think that it's very worrisome that during the, the campaign, uh, we now know uh, from Cohen, um, who's a very close lawyer for Trump for many years, that there was a, a deal uh, here uh, for Trump Tower, which was offering a $50 million apartment to um, uh, Putin himself as part of that. But the deal, now, these did, don't, the deal did not Well, these through. don't necessarily connect to the president <laughs> yet, but these are – there's not just one of these. There's a, a circle, Manafort um, – uh, for years uh, involved with uh, the Ukrainian government is the campaign manager and also apparently still involved financially in some ways while we're um, uh, reducing and changing the Republican platform on yeah. Ukraine and Russia. Is there These any, are just is there, very worrisome. Is there any specific thing you can point to that you would say, aha, this really makes the case Do, for you personally. Not, not at this point, Bruce, okay. but the problem is that it's not the case that there's been no discoveries and no uh, information that's worrisome that's come through with the Mueller investigation. It's not that there's it has not exonerated the president in any way. What it's done is it's made uh, made things more worrisome, and I think that that's the best the, the way to characterize it. It doesn't mean there's a smoking gun. It doesn't mean there's this or that to tie the president to something. But when you have that many close advisors so deeply involved in going to prison, in some cases, for years, um, this is extremely worrisome about what we don't know to come. Does it, are you worried about this, Mark? I mean, you, you, you're, I think you've identified as a Democrat when you've been on this program in the past, or Democrat or an independent. So, I mean, are, are you – all of the investigation – we've spent a whole year, uh, more than a year on this investigation. Are you more or less likely to uh, believe Robert Miller now than, uh, let's say, a year ago? Do, I mean, is he giving you enough evidence? Believe, believe what, Bruce? <laughs> believe what? From well, all believe our... that the president was somehow involved in working with Russians – to affect the election. Are you, are, do you think that, I mean, the media has played that story. The Democrats have played that story. No one's been indicted for it yet. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if, if in, in, in your gut, 
Do you think that Donald Trump is, is somehow being controlled by, by Vladimir Putin because of some uh, deal that they've had uh, going for a long time? I don't think he's controlled. I think he's just proven himself to be just in a disastrously poor civil servant. He's supposed to be, you know, this guy running our country, and he's <coughs> shown himself to be really incompetent with finding good staff, and uh, he seems to have no ability to be a strategic thinker. And to the extent that you've got an opponent like that that you can mess with pretty easily, I, I worry that, you know, he's, he's not directly controlled, but he's perhaps controllable, that you can, you know, throw the shiny ball and you get him off of what you want him to, you know, get away from. Mike, do you agree with that? Well, let me look at it at a, at a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that bothers me is that because of this investigation, which I think will go nowhere, I think there's nothing to it, um, well, it hasn't Demo- yet gone anywhere, and yeah, it's spent a lot of money and a lot they, of time. Uh, that's right. And I, well, they've I think forfeited the press- a lot of assets, so it's a net yeah. positive. But it's gone to the point, and maybe I'm mischaracterizing, I don't think I am, The Democrats are essentially arguing that talking to the Russians makes you their patsy. Mm-hmm. And as any interaction with the Russians is a bad thing, and I think this is a preposterous idea. I know that Russia is no larger an economy than the size of Texas. <laughs> it's a third-world backwater but it has nukes, and it has influence in the Middle East. You have to talk to these people. And the fact that at any time he does, even if he doesn't do it well, at least he's talking, the Democrats attack him that he's all of a sudden Putin's puppet. Uh, These are the same people that hit the the, the reset button. You're absolutely right that uh, we need to talk to Russia. But that's not what, and, and you may be also right, and I'm not disputing at all, that there are opponents who just want to bring down President Trump and would and yes, use those arguments. Yes, I'm convinced that's the case. That's not where I'm, what I'm going. I'm specifically worrying about um, uh, using the classified communications equipment oh, I, of yes, yes. the Russians in their own embassy that is meant to bypass our intelligence community um, on something that's Critical, which is a, a, a policy uh, on economic sanctions. Um, I think that yep. what's what's happening here is that these are these are events where people are now going to prison or getting indicted, and it's not just Democrats doing that. I, I mean, agree. Cohen yep. didn't go to prison because the Democrat said so, um, and I think that the um, these are these are pretty these are pretty um, serious, and they're not happening with other. Country, so it's not like that's also happening with yeah, Israel. Yeah. It's not like that's happening with France. <clears throat> and so, but you're right. Yeah. I, I don't want to disagree with you about your point about taking that too far right. and saying that any criticism here that we shouldn't talk to the Russians means we should indict Donald Trump. Right. No, that's not the case. Yeah. How is uh, how is the relationship between Russia and Israel, and why is it so tight, Art? I mean, that, that, that's. That's a relationship that, you know, uh, Israel is close to us and Israel is close to, uh, to Russia. Well, again, at the working level, right. Israel remains very close to us, uh, particularly in terms of joint intelligence and military operations. And we should be very thankful for that, whatever our disagreements on basic policy matters. As Bob pointed out, President Trump has given away a lot to Israel with nothing in return. Uh, it seems to be much more of a personal rapport between um, Netanyahu and Putin. But that's important, especially in the context that the Russians have the initiative now throughout the region. They have the initiative now throughout the region and are expanding practical military cooperation with various states, not just Syria, with Turkey. That's very, very important. 
Is Netanyahu playing the president? Is he playing the president against Putin? I'm sure he's trying. Oh, uh, I'm sure he's I don't think he, I, I don't think he has to. He, they haven't had to negotiate with the president. They've simply had to ask and they receive, not just regarding Jerusalem as the capital. Does that concern you? Well, so I believe that um, Donald Trump was going to end the Iranian nuclear deal um, because he didn't like it, um, and he didn't like it uh, under um, Barack Obama when he was putting it together. It was very very controversial. It was very controversial before Trump. Um, And I think that um, Netanyahu did not push President Trump to kill the Iranian nuclear deal. I think he was going to kill the Iranian nuclear deal. It was a promise he Um, made. But I also think that it's important that we acknowledge that there are going to be strong relations between the United States and Israel, regardless of who the president is. There is an enormous amount of support for Israel inside the body politic of the United States. Um, This goes back to uh, issues of the Holocaust. Uh, This is something that's extremely meaningful to people who are not even Jewish. Uh, uh, And I think that this is... um, uh, the relations here between Israel and the United States uh, are also fostered by the fact that Israel is is a functioning democracy here, um, and also the intelligence that uh, Art just pointed that's out. That's most important. That, that's think. really very valuable. So I think that independent of whether you know Netanyahu and Trump are too close or not, there are going to be close relations with Israel, closer than we're going to have with most countries of the world. All right, we will be back shortly for one more segment. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City, just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. A reminder that the GoFundMe campaign for this program continues. If you go to the uh, GoFundMe page... Uh, you that's GoFundMe.com and look up Beyond the Beltway or Bruce Dumont and you'll find uh, you'll see a picture uh, with me and it will describe the whole GoFundMe campaign, which basically is providing satellite services. It covers the cost of satellite services that get. It's what we do here every Sunday night in Chicago uh, to the radio stations, 35-plus radio stations 
all of the United States, so they download it, and you can listen to it in your car or wherever you listen every Sunday night. So if you enjoy this program and you're in the holiday spirit, go to GoFundMe.com. We're getting a lot of nice response from people out there who listen to this program on a regular basis. It's always nice to know there's people at the end of the, uh, you know, we talk here when I talk to this microphone, it's nice to know that somebody's picking us up in Spokane, Washington, or halfway around the world. So again, uh, GoFundMe.com if you'd like to uh, help our support for 2019 satellite services. Speaking of support, let's talk about uh, the stock market. Uh, Mark Witte, uh, the stock market was was soaring along and then uh, it hit uh, several bumps. I think the stock market always gets too much news. I mean, it's yeah. sort of fun that it you know goes up and goes down every day. So there's always something to say, and most of what they say is insane. Like it's down in a wave of selling. <laughs> well, I think everything sold was bought. If That's I'm exactly not- right. <laughs> yes. But I, I, you know, I want to be uh, consistent. Trump was absurd. He was saying, "Oh, look, you know, it's going up because of all Spoken the great like things an I economist. did." But, yes. You know, I, I can't really blame him when it goes down. It, you look at the sort of Schiller price earnings ratio, and it's still really high. I mean, it I think mm. as the Fed raises rates, right. I mean. The president has tweeted about this with great eloquence mm. that yep. we'd expect to come down a bit, and, yeah, it has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the issues would be that the, if the market would soften, it looks like there's a chance that the market will finish the year uh, in negative or slightly negative, which will be the first time in quite a while. The problem from an economist's perspective is <clears throat> the effect of that upon household wealth. Mm-hmm. And if people all of a sudden then began to pull back on their spending because they fear for long-run or short-run spending – uh, that could that could slow the economy. That doesn't appear to be the projections for this holiday. No, season, I, I no. And if you, uh, I was at the Chicago Fed has a forecasting symposium every early December, and I went to the one this time. Every economist there, not one, was calling for a decline in 2019. They all thought that growth will go closer to two and a half as opposed to the three and a half or whatever it's but, been. But lately. Larry Summers says that we have got a 15 to 20 percent chance of recession in any given year. Yeah, that would be the case. So, you know, mm. we don't see them coming. I mean, think about 2008. We did not see it coming. So, so the, Mark, the are is, you worried about the decline of corporate spending? So there's been some stories in the last yeah. few days in the Wall Street Journal about how uh, corporations are not <clears throat> going into debt because of the cost of debt going up. Are you worried about that? The cost of debt is really low, though. Yeah, it's still low, even historically. So I'm, not, I'm not too worried about that. I think they're not spending because they're, you know, it's sort of the Montgomery Ward effect, that they were afraid that uh, there wouldn't be a continued expansion, so they didn't continue to expand. Oh, uh, I see, I see. I are see. you gentlemen, any of you concerned, does it seem at all like the casino capitalism and the wild gambling atmosphere of a decade ago? Does it feel oh, that like that return? kind of an environment no. currently? No. No. no, it doesn't. It doesn't feel that way. No, and also it, it, they do this thing called a stress test for the banks. Mm-hmm. They essentially say they, they create a hypothetical, and what if X Y Z happens to, the, mm-hmm. to to your assets and so forth? Can you survive? And American banks are very very strong. They have a lot of capital to, mm-hmm. to support what happens. I think the key is going to be what the Fed does. And, and the trouble with the Fed, there's no such thing as a fact when it comes to the Fed. Uh, Mark and I could not possibly agree because there's no fact. It's all a matter of a projection and a guess as to what the Fed does and what does it mean. So look to, two, all we 20, can do is look guess. to 2019. Right. And looking at 2019, no, I, have a, I have a strong opinion they shouldn't even have moved uh, this week. They should not have raised rates. I think where they are, given inflation, the value of the dollar, and, and a whole You're couple You're referring to the decision on the 19th. Yes. Excuse me, but we yeah, don't want to confuse anybody. That decision they had, and that, yeah. that decision right. was to <clears throat> raise rates. I think they should have not. And they, they are calling that they're going to slow down next year, which I think they absolutely have to do. 
because they can always raise quickly if they needed to. Mm-hmm. And so I think, but if, if anybody's going to cause the economy to get a kick in the pants in a negative sense, I'm afraid it could be the Fed moving too aggressively. Okay. And I want to jump on that for a second. I think you have it exactly right that there's this asymmetric power, that there fighting is. recessions is something we've gotten worse at, but fighting oh, inflation is something I think we're pretty good at. Absolutely. So we're, we're spending too much time preventing yeah. an inflation that we could easily fix and perhaps mm. bring a recession that we can. Mm. We correct. have less than 90 seconds left. <clears throat> Saudi Arabia, what's the future of U.S.-Saudi relations given uh, the murder of Mr. Khashoggi? Uh, I think uh, very worrisome in the near term because we don't know what's happening inside of the Saudi regime. The big consequence we're not talking about is uh, how whether or not um, there's been instability now injected inside of the Saudi regime. So you need to remember that the crown prince has only recently taken control, and there are others that might also want control. So um, this isn't just about um, issues with the murder, uh, which almost surely looks like it happened, or Yemen. Uh, By letting those things fester here and not reining them in earlier, unfortunately, there could be instability happening inside of the Saudi government, which we won't know until we see the negative consequences of. That's the big word. Sir. We are now a net exporter, not just to finish gasoline products, but oil generally for the first time since 1960. We don't need them that much. Since Vietnam, we're a lot less inclined to intervene in other people's revolutions and rebellions and instability. That's all to the good. Keeping offshoring in mind is a good way to, I think, stay out of trouble and help other countries. But don't we need them to keep a a rein on Iran? Sure. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's the only reason. The oil is going to become much less of a reason. I think that's one reason why Nixon and Kissinger and the first Bush and Baker and others are seen as effective leaders because they were realists, realpolitik. Which which means sometimes you tell your friends not to do something. That's that's a good point. That's that's my complaint is we gave a green light, a blank check, and what's happened is uh, it's somebody relatively new in power, and they're feeling their oats, and they're doing a lot of things. But our job should have been to kind of rein that in a little bit. if we could. I agree with you. If we could. If we could. Well, you're also right. going to have, this, you have the ongoing strain between the U.S. Senate and members of Congress and the president because the president doesn't seem to want to slap their hands about doing anything. Well, just most of the public doesn't know that last uh, about a year and a half ago in June um, – uh, 2017, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia slapped a 90% blockade on Qatar, 90% of oh. its food. <clears throat> that was wow. that, That's an extreme move. That is. And yeah. we didn't that's say anything prince. about that. Robert Pape, thank you very much. Mike Miller from DePaul University. Art Sear from Carthage College. Mark Weddy from Northwestern. Bob, obviously, from the University of Chicago. We thank you all for joining us this week and this year on our program. And we wish you all a very happy Hip New Year, uh, and also we want to thank uh, Sam Greenberg and Chris Wick and Dan Dorfman and Fritz Goldman for their weekly production uh, here on Beyond the Beltway every Sunday night. They do a great job. I'm Bruce Dumont. Have a happy holiday. Good night from Chicago. If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station, or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live.
the experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. <laughs> 